You're in the water loop. This is Waterloop episode number 129, Toledo's turnaround from toxic algae. In 2014, a toxic algae bloom in Lake Erie forced the shutdown of Toledo's drinking water system, cutting off the vital service for 400,000 people. In the years since, the city of Toledo responded by forging partnerships to monitor conditions in the lake, investing in upgrades to infrastructure and water treatment, and communicating in a transparent and comprehensive manner with the public. The lessons learned and level of preparedness is discussed in this episode with Patika Bannister, Commissioner of Operations for the City of Toledo, Department of Public Utilities. Patika also explains how water managers from around the country and the world often consult Toledo about how to deal with toxic algae blooms, and how the experiences shaped her perspective as a water leader. Before starting the conversation, a few quick reminders. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet that depends on a variety of support. That includes you as a listener. If you value Waterloop's content, consider making a contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the Waterloop. Waterloop is made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. Waterloop is also sponsored by Hydroloop, a company that is revolutionizing gray water recycling in homes and businesses. I'm going to share a bit more about Hydroloop and then start the podcast. Waterloop. Our water supplies are stressed like never before, and it's time for innovative solutions, including in our own homes. Water recycling is the most efficient and affordable way to use less water. And the easiest way to recycle water is to clean it right where it's used. Think about all the water used in a home just once, in showers and laundry machines. It's called gray water. What if that water could be captured, cleaned, and used again? That's how nature does it. Now Hydroloop can recycle 85% of in-home water use. Hydroloop is a breakthrough technology for water recycling. It produces water that is clean, clear, safe, and disinfected. Then that water can be used again in the home for toilet flushing, washing machines, garden irrigation, and more. With Hydroloop, you can use water twice. Learn more at hydroloop.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. Here for this episode with Patika Bannister. She is Commissioner of Operations for the City of Toledo, Department of Public Utilities. Patika, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for extending an invitation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Uh, I've been doing a lot more lately about uh, communities around the Great Lakes and their relationship with water and the challenges and opportunities they have. And you, you kind of fit right into this there and in Toledo. But I want to kind of uh, go back in history a little bit here and get your perspective. Um, and you can explain kind of when you started and, and so forth. But Toledo really... Uh, kind of got on the, the national news back in 2014 when there was a harmful algal bloom um, that ended up having to, to sh you had to shut down the, the drinking water system for the city of Toledo for several days, two to three days. Um, could you kind of recount that that story of what happened for me? And, and you can kind of add where where you were at the time and when you came into the, to, uh, the department there. Sure. Um, at the time, I 
was working in our Division of Environmental Services um, in the in our water section, um, which oversees stormwater, uh, wastewater operations, um, and um, sampling, um, river sampling. So we were very involved in um, water quality issues. In 2014, uh, there was a, a harmful algal bloom that was in the Lake Erie area, and um, it just got stuck right by our intake, um, and water wasn't really moving. Um, and so it sat there for um, a couple of days, and uh, that's when the state had asked um, or recommended that we issue a, a do not drink advisory and uh, recommend that people use um, bottled water or some water that was prepared. So there was a, a emergency action that was taken between the city of Toledo and the state and the uh, county and the region um, calling in um, the assistance of the National Guard um, to help with mobile um, drinking water to neighborhoods um, and uh, bottled water and was distributed through high, um, high schools while the plant was working on the best treatment methods. And then there was a series of um, sampling that was done um, utilizing um, Ohio resources, um, um, uh, Michigan resources, hmm. and US EPA as well. So um, that taught us a lot about um, emergency crisis planning um, within our utility. Um, at the time, I think our director was about um, five months, definitely less than six months into the job. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, when this all happened, he said, okay, we'll go get the binder with the plan in it. Um, and so we can get started and, and move forward with our emergency. And said, well, there really is no binder for harmful algal bloom. So that was really kind of the start of, of our emergency um, planning, crisis plan planning and training um, that we've uh, done here um, in Toledo since 2014. Cool. We'll, we'll dig into that in a second, but just want to get your, your personal perspective. You know, this was, you know, a pretty big event for a, a U.S. water utility, right? Um, what was, what was it like just being there when this happened? You're also a resident of the area, right? And so you're part of the community. What, what was that experience like for you? Well, for us, the, the messaging uh, which was a, another thing that we can talk about with communication actually went out through social media, through Facebook in the middle of the night. Um, so those that were up um, early Saturday morning had the opportunity to see that there was an issue and then they ran out and got bottled water. And by the time everyone else got up, uh, a lot of the water was already gone. So, you know, people started, began to kind of span out into the region um, to different stores to try to find um, bottled water. Um, I, my family actually lives about an hour south of here, and we were planning on visiting. So um, we went down, and we could see all of the vehicles lined up in front of um, the big warehouse store trying to buy bottled water. So, wow. yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, and retail establishments started having signs out, we're out of water because, you know, people are rushing in. So... Um, you know, and that's another thing that we looked at after um, was making sure that that people are prepared beforehand. 
um, and not having to be in that panic mode. Hmm. Whoops. I'll edit that little out. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned kind of, um, the response, um, uh, maybe not in that immediate moment, but in the weeks, months, even years afterward. Um, and there's a couple different aspects of that. There's probably things you've done from an infrastructure and a treatment uh, perspective to deal with it, you know, or to, to avoid that kind of situation. And uh, there's probably monitoring and, and science happening with the lake. So you better are better informed as to algal blooms. Um, and then there's training with staff and all that stuff and comms. So maybe we can t- start plucking those, those things off. Um, how are you, um, keeping an eye on conditions in the lake? How are you, you know, what's, what's happened? What kind of systems have been set up on that front? So um, actually, before that do not drink advisory, there was plans uh, to build a network for monitoring um, in in the lake, um, the Western Lake Erie Basin. And they, uh, you know, the contract was was all ready to go. So, you know, after the do not drink advisory, immediately, you know, contracts were completed and we began um, working with um, NOAA and some of our um, engineering partners here to get uh, buoys out um, into the lake. And you can actually look up that information on our City of Toledo website um, during the the, uh, spring and summer. Um, We pull it out in the winter. Uh, but you can see in real time the conditions of the lake and it provides, uh, you know, the basic data, but you can also see a visual mm. of what is what is occurring. So we now have an, a network of different organizations and agencies that we work with that communicate constantly. This is what I'm seeing. Um, this, th- these are this is the data that um, my buoys are pulling out. So it, it's a lot uh, more organized and better um, partnerships um, since the 2014. Uh, we also had plans in the works to create um, a capital improvement um, program um, with some upgrades. So, of course, that was fast tracked after the Do Not Drink advisory. And we um, are in the now we're at the near the end of our um, capital improvement program. But it's a $500 million uh, project with uh, several upgrades. Some of them are for um, harmful algal blooms, and some are just uh, were needed to expand the, the plant and allow for additional time for treatment. Great overview. When it comes to the the buoys and the monitoring and kind of keeping an eye on the lake and the science side, do you guys have partners beyond you know the city itself that have kind of helped with that or are part of that effort? Um, absolutely, we work with. Um, I always joke that uh, the Department of Public Utilities works with all of the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> I think we've worked with um, uh, between the work that we do on sustainability and climate. Um, and then with the harmful algal blooms, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, um, uh, Wisconsin, uh, we we gather all those resources. We also work with um, NOAA um, on um, the the work out in the lake and the buoy. University of Toledo um, is one of our biggest partners. Um, 
they began immediately after 2014 um, putting a, a group of professors together from the medical community, the medical side, um, chemical engineering. Uh, we we give them free range to come in and do sampling. So they sample. Um, we're working on filters. They've helped us with um, upgraded filter technology. Um, and so they've been very good partners. Um, any any new and innovative ideas that, that they have, they bring that to us and, and we uh, work on grants. Um, the state has been very helpful, um, providing us millions of dollars and um, grants that you know, then we can turn around and provide the, the um, technology and the research that we've learned um, to other communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to ask about that in a second, too. Um, from an infrastructure standpoint and a water treatment standpoint, you know, you talked about improvements on that front. What, what was done with your system to, to kind of, you know, help buffer against this problem uh, and keep it from repeating? Sure. Um, we have... Um, a project management team um, that is made of uh, several subcontractors, and they really have worked in a short amount of time to make great improvements in our in our treatment process. Um, we've added ozone um, that was added last year. Um, we had a blue ribbon panel of experts around the country that met, and one of their recommendations of the blue ribbon panel. Um, included looking at adding ozone. Um, this was a $50 million project. Um, it was, our, of course, our premier project. Um, and with the, the work that we were able to do, we were able to use it last season. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're really talking about all of these projects, all of this money needed to be done as soon as possible. Um, a short period of time, we have a schedule. Um, and the, the majority of projects, uh, we're looking at a 12-year schedule. So we're talking about adding new maintenance facilities, adding carbon silos, upgrading our pumping stations, so our large pumps, um, our basins, all of our basins. We added a, um, a basically a new plant um, that was originally designed um, – to be done in the short term, um, back in the, the 50s and 60s, they left kind of a, a wall that we could break through and add hmm. to the plant. Um, but that was done um, recently since 2017. Um, we started that construction. And so we've added a whole new section of um, uh, treatment capacity, um, uh, 20 million gallons. Um, again, that assists us in the summertime when our demand increases, that we can do maintenance on um, any of the section, other sections in the plant and still have the capacity to meet our demand. Um, so, you know, we've had a significant number of upgrades to our pumps um, out in the distribution system as well. Um, and, and so you're talking about some, some really large projects that need to be completed in the short period of time. And um, with the expansion of the plant that I, I just um, referred to, the contractor completed that just weeks before COVID oh. and the pandemic. Um, and so we were looking at how are we going to continue construction during this time when we're asking everyone to stay at home. Uh, and that's when uh, what was a already a fast-paced 
um, scheduled tight project uh, started to become a real challenge. <laughs> yeah, sure, um, sure. You know, when you're you're trying to reduce the the number of people that your plant staff are exposed to, but we have this construction that needed to continue, and you have an extra 250 people um, that are are working and sometimes in, in close quarters. Um, and so what we thought was a challenge was nothing compared to when the pandemic hit. Mm, yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, big, big changes to your science and monitoring, big changes to your infrastructure. And so I'm guessing now you talked about going to look for a binder for the emergency plan when this, when this drinking water and do not drink advisory hit, I'm guessing there is a binder now for your, yes, for your, for a plan, right? Yes. So um, immediately after, that was one of the first things that we began to work on. And my predecessor, that is an area that um, uh, was an area of expertise for him is emergency planning. So um, he was he was pulled in um, to start work on that. Um, His background is working with safety and OSHA programs, and he actually teaches at our local community college. Um, And so we were very fortunate to have him help lead those efforts. Um, We worked with an engineering firm to then start working on crisis planning, not just for a do not drink advisory, but for making sure that we were up to date on all of our planning for electrical outages and um, uh, natural gas shortages and things like that. So um, we have those things planned and then we do training and upgrade our plan every day, or I'm sorry, every year. Then with communication, that was the a, a big piece that needed to um, uh, be finalized and, and uh, upgraded as well. And so at the time um, it was thought that it was best. And I think this also came from the blue ribbon panel is was to create a dashboard. And this gave the community an opportunity to know when we were having um, issues in the lake versus when we were having issues at the plant. And so we didn't have um, the hysteria um, that, of course, naturally occurred after our do not drink advisory because then there's rumors, you know, oh, I know someone that worked at the plant and they said that we're going to get another do not drink advisory. And then you have another run on the store or, you know, they would see a city vehicle parked in front of a, a grocery store and they would assume that they're there to pick up bottled water. And of course we're going to have another advisory. So that, um, that dashboard was created to kind of, it was like a red light, green light, yellow light Mm. um, to give people an idea of the conditions in the lake and the conditions at the plant. Um, But as time has gone by and we've um, been able to continue with our social media and um, our, getting our message out there. And then we found that there was no need um, to have that dashboard. Um, and uh, the community um, is starting to feel more comfortable with um, our ability to treat the water, um, especially as we add um, our projects online, like I mentioned, ozone and additional um, uh, carbon that we're able to use to, to treat the water. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you kind of what the state of public confidence is in the utility and in in addressing these, you know, algal blooms. And it sounds like uh, through years of communicating with them and having this dashboard and being proactive on social media uh, and other platforms that the public is feeling pretty comfortable um, with with the state of things and with the utility. And I mean, you've done all those upgrades to infrastructure and monitoring and, and so forth. So I guess they're they're feeling better about things now. Um, you mentioned also, uh, and I wanted to ask about others coming to learn from what you've done there in Toledo, because these harmful algal blooms, um, you know, you guys are sitting in a situation at the west end of that lake where you're susceptible to this, but there's other communities out there around the country, other utilities that are, you know, dealing with algal blooms or could be. Um, have they come to you all to kind of learn on the changes you've made and the response and so forth? Yeah, you know what, not only around the country, but really around the world. Mm. Uh, we've received um, questions from from Asia um, when when they're having issues with algal blooms. Um, we did have a community that was going through an algal bloom on the West Coast. And their first question was, can we get a copy of your emergency plan? <laughs> uh, you know, and that's what we just talked about, right? Um, and so when you're when you're in that emergency, you know, you want you want that that good resource, and, and you want to to talk to a community that's gone through this before. Um, and so we've we've share um, any of our research and any of the work that we we have done. Um, and then there's been a few on the the East Coast that deal mainly with like lakes, lake systems that have had issues with um, algal blooms, and they're looking at some treatment processes. And so they'll contact us um, and. You know, we, we do share um, and do exchanges. And of course, the Western communities in the Western Lake Erie Basin, uh, we have some other smaller systems where we're the largest in this area, but there are several other smaller systems that have similar problems. And actually, before 2014, we had a smaller community um, that had an issue um, and had to turn off their system, but they had an um, another the ability for some redundancy and so they were able to to switch on um another source um to give to their community and so that's another thing that we've looked at is how to build redundancy within our system and so that's something that um you know we've been looking at um and you know really like, as I mentioned in the beginning, my background is environmental, um, environmental science. Um, my degrees are in science, not in engineering. And, um, and I do work with, uh, with a number of engineers, but, you know, my um, focus is also on um, resiliency. And, um, you know, I've worked with um, several of the universities in the Big Ten, uh, like University of Michigan, on sustainability issues. And, you know, that's one thing that, that we're, we're really looking at is in the long term, what are we going to see? What conditions are we going to see in the lake that we need to be prepared for? Hmm. And again, that goes back to, you know, the, the ozone looking at that. Yeah, sure. Um, how have, you know, all of this, this focus, these projects, um, you know, kind of a, a unique experience there at, the, at your utility. How has it shaped you as a manager and as a leader? How do you think, you know, dealing with this situation 
having to be prepared for it, um, you know, having others look to you to, for lessons learned and so forth. Yeah. How has that, how has that shaped you and impacted you as a, as a water professional? Really, um, you know, looking at all the challenges that are in the industry now, um, you have to have a broader view, not just looking at um, your utility, creating water, cleaning water, um, looking at wastewater systems, but you you need to look at the long term and then how that impacts people. I mean, we're really in the, the people business, right? So we are creating a product product um, for public health, which has come out a lot during the pandemic, uh, because in order to wash your hands, you need water. Um, Hospital systems need water. So we need to make sure that uh, we're listening to our customers. Um, We're looking at the long term and building strategies, but also, um, you know, thinking about the affordability and, you know, do we have the uh, ability to um, pay, um, as customers, um, you know, with all of these projects come with big price tags, you know, the $500 million project. So, you know, we try to look for grants and loans because I'm thinking about, uh, Mrs. Johnson, who is on a fixed income that doesn't have as much money to write a check or doesn't have any, um, additional funds to help pay for some of these projects. So really, I mean, trying to reach out, um, to as, as many resources as we can, um, you know, building those networks. Um, that's something that we all have done um, up here on the, on our, um, at, as commissioners. Um, we have commissioner of utilities administration that, that oversees our billing um, and our accounting functions. And then um, another commissioner that looks at field operations and they are the ones that knock on the door and say, your, your water is um, under a boil advisory. So what, you know, what's the best way to communicate that? So really, you know, looking at the people and how our everyday impacts their lives. Yeah. Well, that's terrific perspective. Love that. Um, I know that you've also participated in this program at Duke University, the Water Innovation Leadership Development Program. Why were you interested in participating in that? And what's the experience been like for you? At the time that the announcement came out about the program, we were looking at um, a regional water system and how that would work um, locally. And so, you know, there were a lot of challenges challenges with that. Um, but we were able to, to work through them and develop a regional water commission. Uh, we were also looking at, um, in the future, lead and copper, um, and how that would change our utility. Um, looking at affordability, sustainability, um, looking at, um, our, our two plants and the infrastructure needs and also our field operations and the future needs from there, our workforce, Um, How we were going to move forward, we had a number of people um, that were eligible to retire. And how do we bring a new group of of people in our our region um, to this uh, sector? Um, And so there were a number of challenges that we were looking at. And this just seemed like a a good opportunity to work with, um, with the 
the people at Duke, and then also to network with people around the country um, on a common, you know, both on the West Coast where, you know, they might not have uh, as many water resources as we do here um, at the Great Lakes and the challenges that they have and the common challenges that we all have, um, you know, with the, the, the um, items that I just uh, described and how we can work through them. So that is what really attracted me to this program. Mm. And so that's, it seems like that's really been the benefit for you is getting to learn uh, from from others that are in different situations, right? And, and kind of broaden your perspective or understanding, but then also commiserate over some of the common common challenges that you have too, and be able to learn from, from peers. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that has been one of the greatest um, assets of, of the program and what I've been able to pull from it. Um, and also looking at not just myself as a leader, but how to build up the other leaders around, around me and, um, and the mentoring, you know, how to be a good mentor um, and, you know, just strategies for helping the utility move through all of these things. I know um, what, there's a discussion that we had recently of, of how our utility also is a social agency. You know, we also have to be social workers and, um, you know, how to think in that, that mindset and um, so that, you know, as I mentioned, so that we can help our community. I mean, water really, it's, it's a key to a sustainability, sustainable community. And it's also an economic driver. You know, if you have the capacity, um, you have good water quality, you can attract um, um, businesses to the area and help build the economy. So, you know, we always uh, make sure that we tell um, our local politicians that we are uh, are, are the engine to the economics um, that they're trying to build here locally. No doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, you've described a lot of different challenges um, in water right now. You've just de- described all these different responsibilities that that water agencies have. Um, and so it makes sense that there's these kind of programs to help develop leadership and, and, um, help people like yourself just kind of continue to grow and learn. And it seems like it's really important. Um, again, given how much we have going on in water right now, but, um, Patika, thank you for coming on the podcast and, and sharing uh, a lot about the algal bloom situation as a, as a kind of a water wonk myself, I'm interested in, in, in learning more about that from the inside. So thank you. And, and thanks for sharing your, your story as a, as a water leader. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. And thanks again to Springpoint Partners for grant funding and to Hydroloop for sponsorship. Remember, you can support the Waterloop nonprofit media outlet at patreon.com slash the Waterloop. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org.